One of the uh, casualties of this cold weather was the uh, Countryman mic that I use. Our power supply broke this morning, so I'm going to have to stand in one place because uh, if we're going to get this recorded, uh, I'm stuck here. So probably safer for those of you on the front row. Uh, I'm kidding, by the way. Uh, um, all right, so uh, kids, thank you for being in here. You guys bring a fantastic energy. I love it when you guys can come. I, I know I go home every Sunday and, and my kids tell me all that takes place in Kids Creek and I love what you guys are doing and what's in the Bible, but it's fun to have you guys kind of roll in here and be with us adults every once in a while. You guys bring an energy. It's a lot of fun and kids, this is for you today. I'm talking to the adults, but I'm also talking to you. This is not just for the big people. All right, I'm talking to you too, because what I have to say today is very important, because if you can get what I'm saying today and learn this now as a kid, oh my goodness, you guys are going to be the most amazing adults this world has ever seen. So you want to pay attention, all right? So to get your attention, I'm going to play a game, and I have prizes. So what the game is, is I'm going to say the name of a company, and you are going to yell out uh the product that that company is famous so for in, so for instance if i say ford someone needs to call out cars or automobiles and if you do that you can then have something to chomp on while i monologue all right so i'm gonna have karis and valerie help me out here okay each of you take a handful because that way you can throw all right and i am not responsible for any uh, eyes that get taken out or if they overthrow you uh so i'm just playing the game all right so the first company, all right, everyone ready? All right, what, have a one of you on this side, all right? That way we can get everyone hit. All right, so the first company is Google. Okay, back in the back, Zion. What are they famous for? Don't know. There. What? Information, okay. Not just information, that could be the encyclopedia. What do they do? They do math? <laughs> maps, Google's famous for maps. They were famous for something else first. Adults, you can join in too. Web search, right up here, front row, right here. Okay, all right, good job. Okay, you guys understand the game? Try and get their number one product. They might do a lot of things, but what are they first most famous for? And by the way, I'm not saying that these companies are really good at it. It's just what they're famous for. For instance, McDonald's. Okay, hamburgers, I heard hamburgers over there. Hamburgers, not just food, hamburgers. All right, hamburgers over there, so, someone over there. Just throw one in that direction. Okay, next one, Nike. Shoes, okay, I think everyone gets candy on that one, wow. Okay, we're going local. By the way, if you've already got some candy, let someone else get a chance, okay, because I don't want to get uh, make your dentist happy. All right, next one, Quickstar. Coffee? Gas, gas, okay, I was gonna say bananas and milk, because that's where we get our bananas and milk, all right, but sure, Karuba coffee, if you, if you want that, all right. Next one. IBM, computers, okay, right there, Mike gets it, all right, okay, kids, see if you can beat your parents on this one, Marvel, <laughs> all right, comic books is what I was looking for, but they're starting to make so many movies, uh, all right, so again, if you've already got candy, let someone else shout out and get some, all right, next one, Jimmy John's, Sandwiches, yeah, that one's easy. Okay, I think someone up, up there, one of these kids get it. All right, and then our last one, Starbucks. 
Coffee. Okay. I, yeah, one in the back. Okay. Good job. Good job. All right. Give you guys a hand. Well done. Well done. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to pretend with me that one of these companies was doing a really, really, really bad job with their product. All right. So for instance, let's say you pulled up a web browser and you pulled up Google and you decided to type into Google Riverwood and suddenly you get search results for Minecraft. And you're looking at that going, okay, wait, now I know Riverwood's a new church and they're just starting to build and Minecraft's about building, but no, 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 those aren't the same at all. And you're thinking, oh, okay, I didn't explain it clear enough to Google. So you type in Riverwood Church and you get results for the Super Bowl. And you're going, wait a second, Google, that, that's not right. I mean, I know that the Super Bowl's big and fun and you know, hopefully church could be big and fun, but that's, they're so different. No, 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 okay, so you're gonna make it very clear to Google, you type in Riverwood Church in Waverly, Iowa. And you get search results for the weather in Hawaii. And now you know that Google is mocking you for living in Iowa or their product is really, really wrong. It's broken. Well, believe it or not, one of the companies that you just guessed correctly on, they felt that their sh flagship product was broken. It was Starbucks. Back in February of 2008, they were reaching a crisis point. The whole economy was just tanking. And they had out all these big plans they, they released in 2007. And suddenly they weren't gonna be able to open the same number of stores that they wanted to. In fact, they were gonna have to shut some stores down and they just didn't think things were going well. And then reviews were coming in and people were starting to not like their coffee anymore. Now, I am not a coffee drinker. You guys can argue and fight whether or not you think Starbucks is good or not. I drink hot tea, so I don't care. But obviously some people did care, and Starbucks cared. Starbucks said, our flagship product is not as good as we want. Now they had some options. They could have either just ignored the problem. That probably wouldn't have solved it. They could have maybe like found someone else to like help them. Like they could just buy out some other coffee company that had better coffee and bring that in and then problem erased. Or, or maybe they just give up. They just close all 16,000 of their stores and say, that's it, we're done. But they didn't. They decided to fight through it, to persevere, and to get back where they thought they needed to be. And the way they did it was they closed all their stores for three hours on one day, stuck signs in the window apologizing to customers. They said, we are engaging in retraining of our baristas. That meant for three hours, I didn't think it was that funny, but if you wanna laugh, that's fine. I, I'm great with it. But that meant for three hours that Starbucks wasn't going to make any money. You spread that across 16,000 stores around the US, and that's probably millions of dollars. And then they have to pay the employees for their time. So there's more millions of dollars. So they were going to lose a lot of money. Shareholders were not happy, but they decided it was worth it to get back to where they wanted to be. They had to persevere through the difficulty to become who they thought they should be. Kids, any of you ever faced a really tough challenge? Yeah, every hand should be in the air, right? I think all of you kids have had to learn to tie your shoe. It probably didn't go very well the first time, did it? Or, or maybe when you were learning to ride a bike, how many of you ended up with skinned knees and skinned elbows? Yeah, it wasn't fun, it wasn't easy. Uh, adults, how many of you in your job were maybe given a project, a, a task that just seemed impossible? You weren't sure how you were going to accomplish it. All of us have faced really, really tough things. And we could respond by just ignoring it. Now, if that's in your job, it's probably gonna mean you're gonna, not gonna have a job any longer, but that's often our temptation. 
You face a difficulty and like, ah, just, I don't want to even pay any attention to it. Or, or you try to find someone else come in and just handle it for you. Like they, they'll, just, they'll just deal it. Kids, you've ever played a video game and you can't pass the level and you get so frustrated you just hand the controller to dad and say, would you do it for me? Or maybe sometimes you just want to give up. You just want to quit. The relationship isn't going very well. I'm done. I'm out. It's over. All of us have faced the tough things, the challenges, and we have multiple responses to them. The same thing happens in our spiritual journey. There are times where you may be investigating things of faith, but it, it, you've got questions. Things aren't making sense. A and you just reach this point where you're like, ah, I, I, I just, I just want to ignore it. And you just put it all on the back burner. Or, or maybe you're reading something in the scriptures and it's really, really hard. It doesn't make sense. And you just wish someone would come along and do it for you. That some pastor would stand up front, tell you what it is, and that way you don't have to think and study and figure it out for yourself. Or sometimes you hear a really good reasoned argument for why Christianity is a farce. And you just think maybe it's all wrong. And you just want to give up. You just want to quit. Today we're going to talk about what do you do to keep going? How do you face it? What do you do when you have questions, when you're facing trials, when you're facing challenges that try to interrupt the spiritual journey that each and every one of you are on. To do that, we're going to go into the book of James. And what I'm going to warn you guys is I cannot today give you a nice three easy step process. All I'm going to be able to do is give you one step. And that one step could possibly be the hardest thing you will ever do in your life. I wish I could make it easy, but it's not. However, I can tell you this. If you do this one thing, you will see God do more than you could ever have hoped or imagined. He will do something so deep in you that you will then be surprised to see the things that he does through you. And you will see him do the types of things that you will one day be telling your kids and your grandkids. It's going to be the type of stuff that you're going to say, I would never wish that on my enemy, but I would never do it. I, I would never change the story because what I saw God do in me and through me was so remarkable, I would do it all again. Let's pray. Father, as we get ready to go into the scriptures, I pray that this would be about what you want to say, not just what I want to say. So make your word come alive right now. I, I pray for each and every person that's in here. All of us are in a different place in our spiritual journey. Some people, they, they don't know you yet. They're, they're wondering, they're questioning. Other people have been following you for a long time. And Lord, I can't speak to each and every person individually, but you can. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take over. You would speak to the minds and hearts of each person that has come today, whether they're come to, to support someone who's being baptized, or they're coming out of curiosity, or they're coming because this is their church home. I pray that you would do what only you can do today in us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so if you brought a Bible or you got a Bible app on your phone, go ahead and open it up to James chapter 1. Kids, you have the scripture in your little activity pads, and I need to apologize. When I was originally planning this, I was planning to start in verse 2, and today I'm actually going to start in verse 1. So that's not in your activity pad. So kids, you're going to have to keep your eyes on the screen to see verse 1, but after that, you guys can take notes in your uh, activity pads and get there uh, too. So kids, I want to ask you, who wrote the book of James? James? What? It was, I, I thought it was Herkimer. What in the world did they teach me in seminary? Oh man, I gotta have to go back. No, really, it was James. But we sometimes think that James is, is James the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. It's not. 
This James is actually the brother of Jesus. His mom was Mary, his dad was Joseph, and he grew up with Jesus as his older brother. Now I want you to think about that. Kids, what would it take for your brother or sister to convince you that they're God? Yeah, probably nothing, all right? You probably look at them going, uh, yeah, right, in your dreams, uh, right? Now imagine James sees his brother, his older brother, gets all these disciples around him. They start traveling around. He's preaching about, you know, the kingdom of God. And you maybe hear your mom talk about, well, yeah, um, I was, a, I, you know, I wasn't married to your daddy yet. And I was pregnant with Jesus. And it was pretty remarkable. It was a miracle. And you're sitting there going, oh, okay, but my brother's weird. I mean, he, he was a carpenter, but yet suddenly he gets baptized and now he's off, you know, doing all this other stuff. And now my brother's going around saying, yeah, I'm going to be killed. And three days later, I'm going to rise again from the dead. And now you know your brother is crazy. <laughs> Until your brother actually does it. And when you see your brother hanging on a cross, dying a brutal death, and three days later is alive again, and you can see the holes in his wrist, you would become a believer too. James suddenly believed that his brother wasn't just a brother. He truly was the son of God. And so James began to follow his own brother. So much so that James ended up becoming one of the key leaders in the early church. If you go into the book of Acts, you see that this big problem arises, and it's actually James who helps to lead the church through the issue. And so because James wants to help the church, he wants to help people follow Jesus, because he himself is a follower of Jesus, he decides to write a letter. Now, the New Testament is comprised of a lot of letters, but many scholars believe that this is the first letter ever written. This is written really early in the life of the church, and James is sending this out to some people. So let's see what he writes. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now, in our day and age, we always write, dear, you know, whoever, John, Joe, Julie, and then we write our content, and then at the end we say, sincerely, your name. But back then, they did the opposite, which actually is a good idea if you think about it, to put your name first. Hey, this is coming to you from Aaron. Now you can hear their voice. You know who it's coming from. You don't have to skip to the end of the letter going, who, who's this from? Right? James starts right off and identifies himself. But notice what he says. He says that he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's sitting there saying, I am a servant of my brother. I'm a servant of Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my master. He's my leader. And that word servant there is really the word bond servant. A bond servant was someone who willingly entered into servitude. They basically said, I love my master so much, I will gladly serve them. So I will become a servant, become basically a slave happily. It's crazy in our mind. But they felt such attachment, such affection for this master, they would willingly do it. And James felt that not just for God, but for Jesus. And so he says, I'm a bond servant of Jesus. And then notice who he says he's writing this to. This is to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Kids, you guys in the what's in the Bible, I think you might know the answer to this. Who are the 12 tribes? Yeah, the 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12 sons that became these different family groups, and they became known as the Jewish people. They were the 12 tribes. Well, most of these 12 tribes have been lost. We don't know. No, no Jew can, many Jews cannot say, oh yeah, I'm of the tribe of, you know, Judah or whatever. 
But back then, he's saying, hey, I'm writing this to the 12 tribes. I'm writing this to the Jews. But notice where he's writing to. He says these are the Jews that are in the dispersion. In other words, these were not the Jews that were in Israel. All right, James is probably in Jerusalem. He's leading the church, and they realize there's a lot of Jewish people out there, and we need to help them in knowing that Jesus is the Messiah and how to follow him because Jesus kind of changed things up. They'd been doing Judaism a certain way for centuries, and now Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the entire Jewish religion, and that brought some new things, some exciting changes. So James realizes, man, we got to help these people. So he writes them a letter. So that letter is for Jewish people designed to travel around. It wasn't just to go to one group, one church. This is supposed to travel. All right, so this is the start of his letter. All right, and to be honest, I think it's kind of a nice little start. You know, he doesn't wax on and on and on like Paul. I mean, he gets right to it. He identifies himself. Here's who this is to. Greetings. So nice start. Let's see what he says next. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And at that point, you're sitting there thinking, James is crazy. Did he just say what I think he said? To, like, be happy when you face really, really difficult things. When, when you face a challenge, you're supposed to, like, smile? Like, you should laugh when someone mocks you for your faith. When, when something really difficult is happening, you're supposed to just go, isn't this great? Actually, that's not exactly what he's saying. Notice, he says, count it joy, not be happy. You see, there's a difference, difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is temporary. Happiness is when you watch a funny movie. Happiness is when your Kansas City Royals win the World Series. It may never happen again, but we're, we're, we're enjoying it this year. Happiness is when you get the perfect birthday present. But you may watch today's football game, and you may be rooting for a certain team, and happiness is when your team scores a touchdown. And then unhappiness sets in when the other team scores a touchdown and takes the lead. It, it just it flows up and down and up and down. But joy, it lasts. It's, it's deeper. It remains. It doesn't fluctuate the same. And, and so that means that you can have joy when your grandma gives you a really ugly sweater at Christmas. You will look atrocious in this thing. And yet you can have joy because you realize my grandma loves me. She was thinking of me. She thinks this is nice, so I'll wear this to Grandma's house and nowhere else, all right? Don't post any photos on Facebook, please. But you can have joy, even in the midst of something that, ah, it's not quite what I wanted, because it's this deeper thing in you. It's different than happiness, and that's what he's saying. Count it joy. But notice, he doesn't just say count it joy. He says count it all joy, like this perfect joy, this complete joy. It, it's more than just, oh, have some joy. It's like a total joy. But notice he doesn't say, have this total joy because you're facing a really tough issue. He says, when. It means it's, you're not happy because you're facing this. You're happy because there's something else. And that's the next verse. It says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness fastness. So when you face something really, really challenging, really, really difficult, it challenges your faith. You can have some joy because it does something in you, this testing of your faith. And what is it it does? It produces steadfastness. Now, the New Living Translation, which are the brown Bibles back on our, our back there, and I know some of you use that, they use the word endurance. The, the New International Version, which I grew up on as a kid, they use the word perseverance. 
But for you kids, I thought of a fun word. stick How many of you kids can say that word? stick Hey, pretty good, pretty good. You may have to practice all day, all right, and drive your parents crazy, but stick In other words, stick with it. Endure, persevere, remain steadfast. Don't give up, keep going. That's the idea he's going for here. Why? Because of what it does in you. Verse four, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, if you let the steadfastness, as you persevere, God is going to be doing something in you. And what is it he does in you? He makes you perfect and complete. Lacking nothing. But I got to be honest. I don't feel very perfect. I, I don't feel complete. I see a lot of weaknesses in me. There's a lot of areas that I still need to grow and mature. So what does he mean? Well, let me reframe it this way. Kids, who throughout history lived an absolute perfect and complete life? Bradley. Yeah, Jesus did. Jesus is the only person to have lived a sinless life, a perfect life, a complete life. He lacked nothing. So what James is saying is that when you go through the difficult things in your faith, when you go through the tough stuff, the stuff that just makes you say, I want to give up, I wish someone else had helped me, I just want to ignore it. When you go through that and you persevere, you stick with it, you endure, God does something in you where he begins to mold you and shape you into the image of Jesus. Or in the title of our series, he shapes you into the new you. That's what God wants to do in each and every one of you. I forgot to review for you kids the series that we've been in. We're in the series called New You, and what we've been talking about is setting spiritual resolutions. Many adults set New Year's resolutions, but as they set these New Year's resolutions, they often like fail on them by February 17th. And we're talking about, well, if you have some resolutions to grow spiritually, how can you do that? So some things we've talked about is how you have to have a new leader You've got to set Jesus. So many of us just lead ourselves. We, we, we just, you know, lead our lives. We get ourselves up. We head off to work. But to really grow spiritually, to see 2016 be our most significant year yet, we've got to have a new leader. That means putting Jesus as the leader of our life in every area. And that's hard. But if we're going to see these changes, it's necessary. So how do you keep Jesus at the center? Well, we talked about having new rhythms. And so we talked about setting these new rhythms, daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, monthly rhythms, and yearly rhythms, and having these rhythms going through life that help you keep Jesus at the center. But not only having these rhythms that help you keep Jesus as your leader, but also having a new outlook. That that if all you do is you just look at the ways of the world, that's going to look really good. Because the way we said it last week was that where where you look is where you walk. And so if you just look at the things of the world, they say this is the stuff that'll make you happy, You're just going to walk that way. You can claim Jesus is your leader. You can try and put in these rhythms. But if your outlook is just on these things, you're not going to see the spiritual changes you want. You've got to put your outlook on Jesus. And the outlook is ultimately on God's work in you, of him molding and shaping you into that image of Christ. That's where what James says is so important. You cannot get there. You cannot be shaped into the new you without going through some tough times. And you've got to persevere. Like I said, kids, 
I wish today I had a nice, easy little three-step process for you that's going to help you grow spiritually. But it's only one thing. It's to persevere. It's to remain steadfast. It's to keep going. It's to apply stick to But I do have one little glimmer of hope for you. I have two little tricks, or, or to use the popular term right now, hacks, to make perseverance just a little bit easier. So I'm going to give you two hacks that will help you to persevere a little bit more. The first one is found right there in verse 5, the very next verse. It's to pray for wisdom. James writes that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now remember, he just said that if you let steadfastness have its perfect effect on you, you will become perfect and complete. You will lack nothing. But now he's saying, but if you realize you do lack something, chances are you lack wisdom. You've got a difficult relationship. You just don't know what to do. A friend has said something really mean to you. Your spouse just isn't being reasonable. And you just want to, like, bite back. You, you, you want to just ignore the issue. You just wish someone else would come in and take care of it for you. But instead, you ask God for wisdom. God, what do I do? How do I respond? How do I help this relationship? So you ask God. You pray for wisdom. And as you do, you realize God's going to answer. He's going to be with me. And that'll help you persevere. That will help you to keep going. So the first thing is, pray for wisdom. And that will help you to persevere. The second thing is to place a marker. Now, I'm not talking about a writing utensil, all right? Kids, you're probably going, wait, like God gives me a marker and I like write on paper or draw on my face or draw on my friend's face. No, not that type of marker. This is the type of marker that says, I am marking this point in my life this is a changing point for me. Because when you set that marker, you can look back at it and it helps you to persevere through the tough stuff. This summer, the 2016 Olympics, they're going to be taking place in Brazil. And every time the Olympics take place, they always interview someone who's won the gold medal. And they'll ask them, how did you do it? Because many of these athletes undergo grueling workouts. I mean, they're just difficult and hard. I mean, if most of us tried to do them, we'd be puking like halfway through the workout. I mean, it would, it would just kill us. And yet these guys go through, I mean, all sorts of things. I mean, they, they, they've got their workout regimen. They've got their food regimen. They basically give up their life to the sport. They become like a slave to the sport in order to achieve their dream. And what you'll hear in those interviews is how did you achieve the gold medal? They will basically say, I placed a marker. They won't use those words, but you'll hear it come out. It'll be things like, I stuck a picture in my locker room, a picture of the last time I faced defeat. I did not want to taste defeat again. So I put that marker in, said never again. And I worked and it worked and it worked and I persevered. That's how I got here because I kept this in front of me. Or, or you might hear him talk about how someone dogged him, said, ah, you'll never make it. That becomes a marker, like driving it in, like I'm going to prove him wrong. It keeps me going. And they would endure the worst of stuff because they wanted to show I can do it. But sometimes you'll hear him say, I just envisioned myself on the podium. I wanted to hear my national anthem. I wanted to see that medal put around my neck. That's what kept me going, just this image. It was a marker. Now, in your spiritual journey, I think there are two types of markers. The first is the most common, and they are called what I call God-placed markers. It's where God puts a marker in your life, and you can't deny it. 
I've got lots of friends who, who share these type of markers. Uh, one friend of mine, he is in collegiate ministry because one day he went to visit a friend who was in seminary in Florida. While his friend's off at class, he was just reading his Bible. And as he read his Bible, he felt like God saying, I want you to go into ministry to college students. And now, 10 years later, he's still doing it to this day. I've got another friend who uh, was listening to a song. And as he heard the song for the very first time, all of a sudden, he felt like God saying, I want you to give up your life in comfortable Pennsylvania, and I want you to head overseas, and I want you to be a missionary. And he wrestled and fought. He listened to that song over and over and over, basically like, no, God, no, no. John, to this day, is now back stateside. He's heard many, many years in Venezuela, then in Spain. Now he's back in the U.S., and he's helping other people to be, uh, find this dream of following God to the ends of the earth. I could go on and on and on. I could even share my own God play stories. I, I had one where uh, when I was just reading the Bible, all of a sudden I just sensed God saying, I, we were in Venezuela at the time and it meant we were supposed to come back to America and he had something different. And that's what God used to change my heart so that I would be willing to work within a church. Or I could share about the time where I was just sitting on my computer. I was just checking email. I wasn't expecting anything. And all of a sudden it changed my life. And now here we are planning Riverwood Church. God can use the unexpected moments to place a marker in your life. And when they come, they come. And you need those markers because there will be moments when things get really, really tough. And you'll need to look back at something and remember, I know what I heard. I know what God said. And that's what's going to keep me going. That's how I can persevere. But there's another type of marker. And that is what I call a you-placed marker. This is the marker that you decide you're putting in. For many people, it's the day that God opens their eyes to the truth about Jesus. They realize this whole crazy story of God becoming man, of going to a cross, dying for the sins of humanity, as ludicrous as the whole thing sounds, as much as it sounds like mythology, they suddenly realize it's true. And it blows them away, and their eyes are open, and on that day, they then say, I'm placing a marker, I'm going to follow Jesus. I also know people who have had very difficult moments where at work or at school, they realize they're going to have to take a stand for their faith. And it scares them, but they realize, I've got to put a marker. And I realize I'm driving this marker in, and it might mean losing some friends. It might mean losing some respect. It might mean losing my job. But this is so important. God's calling me to this. I'm driving this thing in so that I can look back upon it and know what I know is true so I can keep going and persevere. That's why today is so significant. Because today, Hannah and Zion are placing in a marker. They are mar putting in the marker of baptism. Baptism, in my opinion, in my understanding of the scripture, does not save you. you it's, what saves you is God. He's the one who opens our eyes. It's Jesus who died on the cross. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation to, to come into a relationship with God. God's done it for us. We were, the, the scriptures talk about us being spiritually dead. Dead people can't do anything. God did it for us, and he then raises us up out of that dead life, that dead spiritual life, and now gives us spiritual life. And now we follow Jesus. That's salvation. But for many people, there comes a point where they realize, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is my identity. Jesus is that leader. I want to have these rhythms in my life. I want to have an outlook where I want to see God do tremendous things through me. 
And so I'm now going to publicly identify with Jesus. That's why at Riverwood, we have what we call immersion baptism or believer's baptism. It's where someone says, I believe in Jesus, and so therefore I'm identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And they're saying, this is the most important thing to me. This thing that happened in history is also the thing that happened to me. And now I give my life to follow this. I'm putting Jesus at the center. And by doing that, they drive a marker in. And I'm going to tell you, not because I'm a pessimist, but because I know God loves Hannah and Zion enough that they're going to face difficult times in life. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be questions. There's going to be doubts. There's going to be things happen. And they're going to find themselves going, God, I thought you were with me. I don't understand why this is happening. What is going on? And it's in those moments where they're going to be able to look back and see on January 24th, 19, 2016. Yeah, that shows you how old I am. In 2016, I knew what I believed. I knew the truth. God put it in my heart, and I drove this stake into the ground, this marker. And I looked back at that and said, okay, I know God was with me then, so I'm going to trust he's with me now. And that's how I can continue to persevere, to stick with it. If you follow Jesus and have never been baptized, I want you to seriously think about it. I want you to think about him taking a stake and driving it in. Some of you probably grew up in churches where you were baptized as a baby. It's between you and God if you decide, this is what I need to do. I would encourage you, though, to seriously think about it, pray about it. Because if you say Jesus is the most important thing to me, then I would say that you should publicly identify with him. It's like, it's like a wedding ring. I got married 21 years ago. This ring does not make me married. I take this off, I'm still married. All the ring does is shows everyone my life is tied to someone else. That's what baptism is. It basically is publicly saying my life is tied to God. That's what this is about, and I'm taking a public stand, and I'm kind of beginning my public ministry for God. So what we're going to do is we're going to have Zion and Hannah and those who are participating in the baptism itself, they're going to leave here in just a moment after we pray, and we're going to go down and change clothes. The rest of you are going to remain, and we're going to sing a song together uh, as a church family. And from there, we're going to then proceed down, go down the stairs into the pool area. Brad's going to help get you guys all assembled down there so you know where to be. And then you are going to hear from Hannah and Zion yourself. They're going to share just a little bit of their story and how they come to this decision of choosing to be baptized. And I want you all there positioned so that you can hear them down there because this is a very significant moment in their lives. I'm glad you're here to support them. I would encourage you, if you follow Jesus, be praying for them because God's going to do some really cool things in them. But whether you've been baptized or not, I want to encourage you, persevere, stay steadfast, stick with it, don't give up. As tempting as it is to ignore what's going on, as tempting as it is to just wish someone else would swoop in and take care of this for you, don't do it. Because when you do, you will circumvent the work of God in you. Instead, stick with it, go after it, hang on. Because when you do, God is going to do something in you. And he's going to mold and shape you into that image of Christ. And he's going to do more in you than you ever thought he could so that he could do more through you than you ever imagined he would. And you will experience the things that one day you will be telling your kids and your grandkids. You're going to say, I cannot believe the things I saw. But it will only come as you persevere through it. But I'll be honest. I don't have the will to do it on my own. I can't do it. That's why we have to have a new will. 
It's basically saying, not my will be done, but yours. I lay me down. You are the leader of my life. Give me your will so that I can persevere. So, Father, I pray that you would help my church family to persevere, that we would be the type of church that would stick with it no matter how tough things get, because you are God, you are good, and you are calling to us to something great. So, Father, help us to be the type of people that will stick with it, that we don't just take the easy way out, that we don't just shirk off responsibility, that instead we will do what is necessary, what you call us to, because you are God, you filled it with your Holy Spirit, and you're calling us to something great. Lord, I pray for any Jesus followers here that have not been baptized, that you would just speak to them and that they might someday decide that they too want to be baptized, to publicly identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and say he's the most important thing to me. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that isn't a follower of you yet and that if you've been speaking to them, that they would today say yes to following you. They would make you the center of their life. They would make you their new leader and they would begin to dedicate their life to following you, that they would just say, I surrender. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who is not ready to make that decision, that you would just continue to work on them, begin to help answer their questions, help them to see the truth and the power of this crazy story of a guy going to a cross and dying a sinner's death so that we could then have the life that he always intended for us to live. So God, may you just take this day, this wonderful, beautiful, precious day, and would you do with it what you want for Hannah and Zion as they celebrate what you've done in their lives, for others that, are, that have already been baptized, and today would just be a memory to bring back that marker that was placed years ago. And then for those that are questioning, wondering, may they hear you speak to them today, and may they be willing to say yes to following you, doing what you're calling them to do, and that even today, even if they're not being baptized, that today would be like a marker for them. And I ask for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.